0: He was rejected by an American sweetheart on The Bachelorette and later had to have his leg amputated. And somehow his belief and faith in God only got stronger? How? Stick around and find out more. Welcome back to Theology on Air. Theology on Air is um, an outgrowth, I guess, of Theology on Tap, which is a ministry to young adults in Houston. We get together and we have craft beer and we talk about interesting things around theology, Bible, faith and culture if you live in the Houston area and you want to know about our events, you can go to HoustonTOT.com to find out more. Um, and then we get to dig deeper in these podcasts. And today's a little bit of a different podcast because instead of having like a topic or a theme, we just want a really interesting person with a really interesting story. We're just going to pick his brain. So I am Sarah Stone. I'm the Executive Director of Theology on Tap. I am here with Evan McClanahan, Senior Pastor of first Lutheran uh, here in Midtown. That joke never gets old to me.
1: I'm okay. sorry.
0: He is the only pastor, which makes him the senior pastor. So, um, and our guest today is the lovely Kim Ayala. I got
2: it. You got, got it right. Time.
0: So I, I went to a like a networking, uh, a big deal in Houston. We do this uh, every year. They do a Houston prayer breakfast, like a bunch of cool people come together and Um, the mayor's there. Anyway, it was my first time, and I started chatting with you and ended up sitting next to you. And I'm just thinking, this is just a guy. And the next thing I hear you talking to somebody, and you pulled up your pant leg, and I saw you had a prosthetic. And then a few minutes later, you're like, oh, I was on the bachelorette. I'm like, what? Either this guy is like a serial liar or he's had quite a life. So, I want to talk about that today.
1: Okay. So, are you a serial liar? No. Uh, no. No, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and also, you can go and see that I haven't gone back and watched it yet. I thought that might be a little too voyeuristic. Like, if you know someone that's in the show to go back and watch, so I haven't yet.
2: And I prefer people who don't okay. watch it. Well, <laughs> and we'll get into that yeah, as really to why. <laughs>
0: okay, so before we get to all the drama, let's we'll wet people's appetite and then we'll make them wait for it. Tell us just a little bit about like you growing up, a little bit about like your personality, maybe a little bit about your faith story. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Give us the
2: background. Sure. Uh, So I am a Houstonian, born and raised. Um, I do claim Cypress, Texas as Houston, because on my parents' address, it is Houston, technically. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I would say growing up, uh, my household was like cultural Christians, as it's kind of known now, Um, and not even really like all of the box checking. Um, You know, I'd say we really started to go to church regularly regularly. Uh, probably when I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And we went to a Church of Christ in Houston. And so um, my dad's upbringing was uh, partially Catholic, then partially Methodist. I'm not even really quite sure what my mom was growing up. You guys landed in Church of Christ? It's really bizarre. Uh, I guess also because of like proximity, that was also the closest church to our house. And our next door neighbors went there. And one of my best friends went there. And they had an amazing youth group. And so for me, like every Wednesday night, we would go to Yahweh Cafe, as it was called. Wow. Yeah. You cannot do that kind of branding. Before, <laughs> like, <out> of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but definitely did not have a relationship with Christ. You know, we went to church because it's just what you did. Yeah. And I, I you know, as I reflect now, like. As a little kid, I remember a lot of specific conversations that I had with my dad about sports and about movies and music. And when we would leave church on a Sunday morning uh, with my parents and my older sister, you know, we'd get in the car and it's not like we were playing 89.3 KSBJ. It's like straight to 104 or 96.5, the awesome. secular musics. Uh, and so, you know, it's kind of like we just went there because it was a cultural, social thing to do. Mm. Uh my mom and dad would enjoy the message, but when they got home, they wouldn't, like, get into scripture with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this. I'll give my dad credit. Growing up, he did uh, teach me the Lord's Prayer when I was, you know, a little child. And so, like, I memorized all the United States presidents in the Lord's Prayer. Like, that was, that was my thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But um, – you know, I didn't really have that relationship with either of my parents uh, about their personal relationship with Christ. So uh, as I got older, um, I'd say really my sophomore year of high school, uh, my older sister had just graduated and started going to Sam Houston. And I allowed sports to become my religion. Right. Okay. Like I played baseball, basketball and football pretty competitively wow. and mostly basketball year round. Like I did AAU, all the traveling mm-hmm. teams. And for me, that's how I rooted my identity was my performance in sports and like being a leader in my peers, because like, I feel like most kids get their kind of trajectory to how they're going to be in their young adult years, kind of in the elementary and junior high playground or in the cafeteria. And I was kind of the oh, class cl- like the social structure, right, exactly. So I was kind of the class clown, but also like was seen as somewhat of a leader in my peers. Um, so I had all those. God-given, like, traits and uh, and gifts, really. But I wasn't using that to bring glory to God. Yeah. And I would say I was a kind person. I You know, I, I did stand up for people who got bullied. But then at the same time, there were seasons in my life where I would bully other people. Mm-hmm. But I think the older I got in, like, high school and college, um, I did find leadership in my group of peers. But it was leadership for being the life of the party. Okay. Yeah. Popular and fun. Yep. And I'd say really, again, my sophomore year of high school, we stopped going to church altogether because my weekends were consumed with uh, traveling basketball teams and with my sister not there and me being a hormonal teenager, I just wanted to sleep in. And it was easy for my parents to say no, than to like do that because they didn't have a personal relationship with Christ.
0: That's so crazy to me to think that, um, cause so for years you guys did go and would you say like, not speaking for your parents, but for you, would you say like you believed God existed Like he was real, but there just wasn't a connection or were you just sort of agnostic about everything?
2: You know, so I was actually baptized when I was in sixth grade, summer of sixth grade. I went to this church camp in Winsboro, Texas. And for me, it was almost kind of like the peer pressure to do it because my best friend had gotten baptized the weekend before. And um, I was just like kind of caught up in my feels like, okay, like. You know, my best it's friend. You're right, it's special. You know, we're we're there, and it's dark out. The whole camp is singing these worship songs, and it, you know, you see all the stars, and it just it almost felt theatrical. Mm-hmm. And I was also in theater, so I'm like, okay, let's 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 go. What
0: didn't
2: you do Did <laughs> theater? Yeah, partied. Um, What's uh, that? Partied, partied. Yep, yeah. yep. um But I just I remember honestly, like being disappointed when I got baptized. Like, I got submerged and came out of the water. I didn't feel any different. No, I was expecting this, like, out-of-body experience and, like, to visibly see the face of God or or Jesus and uh, to just be this new person. Yeah. And then you know how the church camp high wears off. You go home, you get then influenced by your friends, girls, partying, video games, sports, drinking, all that stuff. And that's kind of what became... My idol was being the guy that everybody liked. I was senior yeah. class president in my high school, which was nine. Grieve another
1: thing.
0: Well,
2: I, I, I all think... these overachievers, I tell you. Yes and no. I you know I, I did it because yes, it was kind of like a popularity contest, but like mm-hmm. I was really wanting to be the guy that got along with everybody. Like yeah. I didn't care if you were the band nerds or you were in theater or you were. Literally I, I went to a pretty diverse high school where there's literally gang members and I was cool with them. So I felt protected, right? Yeah. So it's like
0: the thing you do in jail, like be friends with the right people.
2: Okay, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. so that was kind of like my my path. And um and one thing that I used to always say, and now I kind of like laugh at it, and we hear it all the time, especially like my generation, I would say I was spiritual but not religious. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that's just to me, it just feels like kind of a hippie stoner way of saying you like to to feel out of your body, and and maybe there is some sort of connection, but there's no intimacy with Father God, God. Son Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. I didn't have that specificity. And looking back, it was there. I just didn't know how to acknowledge it. I didn't know how to call it, and I didn't know how to be a good steward of it.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay, so you go off to college. Yep. And what was that like?
2: So my freshman year, I played basketball at uh, Hardin-Simmons University. Okay. Which is, it's a Christian school in Abilene, Texas. Okay. My my grandmother went there. A lot of people's grandmothers went there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Abilene, Texas is, first of all, it was a dry county or dry dry city. So, I mean, you just had to drive like. 20 minutes to go get alcohol, right? So, there there are ways around it. But, I mean, you have Abilene Christian, you had McMurray, and you had Hardin-Simmons, which are all Christian, private Christian schools. Okay. So, I went to a public school in 5A Houston, so, like, not Christian at all. So, it was honestly culture shock for me. I didn't like being told that I had to go to X amount of hours of chapel Mm -hmm. to graduate. Mm -hmm. We used to call them chap naps. I'd go to the top so I could go take a nap because i was exhausted from being a basketball player Mm. so when my health of my knee started to dwindle i was like you know what i just kind of fell out of love with the game so like i want to transfer to a quote-unquote real school and then i went to texas a&m where a lot of my friends that i grew up in junior high and high school with went to and that was just opened the floodgates of partying i joined a fraternity um yep frat guy But we weren't. Yeah, you said
0: said something about your knee. So let's 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 start the beginning of the trajectory of that story. So tell us about your knee and how old you were when maybe that.
2: Sure. Yeah. So really, it it actually even started before uh, Harden simmons It was actually when I, the summer of my fifth grade going into sixth grade. So I was about 11, 12 years old and uh, I was playing like YMCA basketball and I had a lot of lower back pain at the end of every game. And my parents just like, oh, well, you're tall. It's growing pains. That's normal. And, and, you know, that would make logical sense because I was a lot taller than a lot of my teammates, and so, we went to an orthopedic doctor just to kind of get some, you know, preliminary x-rays. And very quickly, they saw that my right leg was about an inch and a half shorter than my left. Good, so, that would explain why I'm having lower back pain. Yeah. But then, the orthopedic surgeon just very nonchalantly said, and see those little black spots on that right femur that looks like that may be bone cancer, but let's just get a bone biopsy to make sure it's not. So, no more. War- like
0: 11, 12
2: at and one of my good friends, uh, well, my best friend at the time, his mom had passed away from breast cancer. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, cancer is a death trap. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm not even in high school yet. Like I have so much life to live, yeah. but like this is it for me. Oh and so gosh, we had to get the emergency surgery the following week. And fortunately, Wait, was it, cancer? it was not. Yeah, but but we did the surgery to basically do a biopsy of the oh, bone right, right, to make okay. sure that it wasn't cancerous. So, fortunately, it was not cancerous. But as a result of that surgery, uh, I started going through physical therapy and rehab. And progressively, you know, typically there's going to be post-op swelling. Like you have your ACL or any orthopedic surgery. That's just natural for any person. But as I was, like, going through physical therapy, like, the swelling, like, got worse and worse. So, at, like, one point, I'd say... Maybe a month and a half post-op, my right leg was about four times the size of my left. Nice. Yeah. And, and you're still a
0: kid at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. hadn't even started sixth grade yet. Wow. So um, it was very tough because, you know, obviously this was before – this was 2000, 2001. So we didn't have Google image search. I mean, we barely had the internet. We had dial up and you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. instant yeah. messenger, yeah. you got yeah. mail, you know. So we, we didn't have – the accessibility to information at the palm of our hands like we have now. yeah. But the blessing was, is growing up in Houston, you have the Texas Medical Center mm-hmm. 30 minutes away, the largest med center in the world. So was the largest, largest in the world. Number. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, having accessibility to specialists was relatively easy, but yeah. having the disease that I was later diagnosed with, uh, which is called lymphedema, it took us over a year of going to like 16 different specialty clinics in the Mm. med center. Um, And basically, when I was told I uh, had lymphedema, it is a disease that has no cure, and it is progressive in nature. And there's really two types of lymphedema. Primary, what you're born with, which is what I had. And then there's secondary, which is more common, um, if like breast cancer patients, for example. So you may have heard of loved ones who get uh, mastectomies or get lymph nodes removed Mm -hmm. underneath their armpits. And then next thing you know, their arms start to swell Mm -hmm. pretty progressively. And you may see women or or some men that have those arm sleeve, like compression garments. And so that's like kind of base level line of care for that. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm told by my doctor that, okay, there's no cure for it, it will get worse. And you need to avoid bug bites. You need to avoid scrapes and abrasions.
0: Anything that would normally swell is going to swell more or be inflamed. Yep. Yep.
2: And then you throw in the fact that you live in Houston, Texas, which is super humid, like Mm. I'm dealing with the elements, right? Mm. And I basically was just given this long laundry list of all the activities that I would need to avoid. And being a three-sport athlete, baseball, basketball, and football, those are all very much contact sports where you break bones, you scrape your knees, Mm. all that. That's like inevitable. So that was really tough because at that point, at age 11, almost 12, I essentially had to become a man take this disease by control Mm. because if I didn't, it would definitely control me Mm. because we're in this constant state of battle between gravity and the lymphedema and gravity always wins Mm. because basically lymphedema just high level means your lymphatic system doesn't properly move that lymph fluid. So it causes uh, an accumulation of swelling and you can have lymphedema really anywhere in your body. But for me, it was concentrated to my right leg specifically in that right knee.
0: But you, so you still have
2: it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even after my amputation, which I know we'll get into that here shortly. So that's that's where it all started. And I did not want my peers, my teammates, or my coaches to look at me any different. I didn't even tell my coaches most of the time that I had it. Mm. So I would wear this compression garment that just kind of looks like what you see most athletes wear in pretty much all sports. But that was kind of before it was popular, before Lululemon and Nike Uh and Under Armour like made compression sleeves Mm -hmm. cool. So it kind of looked like I was wearing pantyhose and I used to get taunted by the opposing teams when, you know, I would shoot a free throw, they would literally chant pantyhose. And so, but that was also kind of fuel for me to like take something that is uh, otherwise perceived as negative and be like, well, just you watch because this dude with a pantyhose is about to beat you. (laughs)
0: Did you then beat them?
2: For the most part. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. I did not realize you were that young when it all started. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it started when you were born, I guess. But. Right. Wow. Okay. So you still kept playing sports. I cannot as a mom. I'm like, that would have been like, we're done with sports. We're you're gonna live in a bubble, you know, but your mom let you keep playing three sports.
2: She did. And my mom honestly is like, I don't want to say more masculine. Um, maybe that's not the word, but she's, she's tough. tougher, tougher yes. than my father. Okay. And I hope they hear this. Because <laughs> okay. when I was in like seventh grade, uh, I was playing summer league baseball and I had a coach who was very hard on us, but I'm so blessed to have a coach like that. And, and one of the practices he would literally like throw, like in batting practice, he would intentionally hit us like with, with the ball. Cause I mean, that happens in the game and when you can get over that fear, then you can stand in that batter's box with confidence. And after do you,
0: do you do that to, um, your
1: yeah, my, my son plays, so we'll have, we'll have to chat later, but,
2: right. um,
1: no, but the, the, the coach uh, who played at, at, in Cyprus, um, yeah, sometimes he'll throw like as fast as he can, which is about 80, 85, like just to like start to get him used to faster speeds, you yep. know, because the kids are starting to throw faster. But he hadn't gotten hit yet. He has, he has very good control. But yeah, yeah, you got to get over that fear. Because so, I'm like, there's no way I would stand in that batter's box.
2: So yeah. Well, after about tough. the second time of getting hit, I threw my bat down and I stormed off the field. And my mom happened to be there at that practice. And she grabs me by the arm and said, I did not raise a quitter. Now you go out there and finish strong. And like maybe in the moment that felt like intense, but... Sounds like a scene from a movie. Exactly, right? But like... Honestly, that made me so resilient. And after that moment, like I ended up leading the team with the highest batting average because I wasn't afraid to crowd the play. I wasn't afraid to get hit because I had already determined that I was gonna finish strong and if I got hit by the fastest pitch, it wasn't gonna break me. It wasn't yeah. gonna kill me.
0: So you're still doing all these sports, you go off to college, first you're in this like big like Bible belt extravaganza, then you're in and um <laughs> Um, but you said your knees started to really be a problem, so you were like backing off the of sports. Is that?
2: Yeah, I did intramurals okay. and things like that, just to kind of stay somewhat active, but not the like full time job like yeah. an NCAA student athlete demands of you to be. Yeah, yeah. So did you
0: then think like your trajectory of what you were going to do growing up like, when you were a grown up? What did you want to be? Oh, like most
2: kids, like you know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but then I wanted to be a professional basketball player because I started doing that year round. Like, well. I'll probably won't make the NBA, but I'll play overseas or I'll be a coach, yeah. right? Like, I, I was, like, all in on it because I literally gave blood, sweat, and tears to the game. Yeah. So, um, for me, having gone through the physical adversity at such a young age, like, there's some athletes who are blessed who've never had an injury in their life, or if they are, they're very minor, not life-threatening or, or career-ending. And having gone through that at such a young age gave me a deeper appreciation for mobility and sports in general. Hmm. So, But... When I knew that I had kind of given it my all, uh, my freshman year at Hardin-Simmons, I realized I could walk away from the game and not having any regrets. I got yeah. to say, hey, I played NCAA basketball. I was the first NCAA basketball player to play with lymphedema. So like I can cool. wear wear that crown proudly and not yeah. feel like I, you know, oh, I should have stayed for the yeah. three more years and who knows what would have happened. I don't have that regret at all. Yeah. Good. You don't have your mom's voice. Yeah. <laughs> you get back out there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Okay,
0: so then at that point, what did you think the future would look like as far as like what you were going to do with your life after college?
2: You know, I I really wasn't quite sure. Uh, yeah. But I think a lot of people who go to, to Texas A&M uh, aren't quite sure. Well, no, no, they are sure. Oh, like okay. they, they have such a clear path because it's such a traditional campus where you kind of meet your person in college. Yeah. You get married a couple years after, then you start having kids and you raise more Aggies. I was a first generation Aggie. I grew up an LSU fan. So um, for me, I just wanted to get a safe job because I had gotten into a little trouble my junior year at A&M. Um, wrong place at the wrong time. But uh, most people who go to a like they have like the job security of getting into the energy business. Okay, yeah. So when I graduated, I was in a, a electrical oil and gas job in Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, okay. So that's where I lived right outside of college. And it was honestly college on steroids because all my best friends from A&M and some from LSU, we all convened coincidentally in Fort Worth because they had their jobs there. And these are petroleum engineers making six figures their first year. So basically, we could afford better alcohol. And (laughs) we were partying hard Thursday through Sunday, like religiously.
0: Huh.
2: Yeah. So not going
0: to church at this point.
2: Nope, not at all.
0: Um, Take us from – I mean, at this point, you're not that far from how old you are now, so – some point you're you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you're working, you're managing the lymphedema. How did you end up on the bachelorette? That's really what I wanna know. How did that
2: happen Ooh, so I, I guess a, it would an be important. Like video, reality star. N- that actually never crossed my mind growing Was up. It
0: just that you watch so many episodes of The Bachelorette.
2: Not at all. It would normally That's be true. like a source of punishment for most <laughs> most heterosexual men. They only watch it because they're in trouble or their girlfriend or their wives want them to watch it. Yeah. But sometimes they get hooked to it because, you know, they're like, hey, happy okay. wife, happy life. She's okay. going to be into this. Maybe she'll watch, you know, a sports game with me. But, but um, I lived in Austin from 2013 till about 2019. And Austin was not a good city for me. It was a fun city for me, but I did not have any relationship with Christ. I had a ton of complications with my leg. Mm -hmm. Um, I started getting episodes of infection. So like over 15 knee surgeries in the course Mm -hmm. of seven years.
0: And was that prompted by something like you fell or...
2: It no. No, it's just the natural course of the disease. And for me, um, the disease, uh, the bacteria had gotten into the knee joint inside the bone. So I had developed what's called osteomyelitis, which means chronic infection of the bone. So anytime I would have a bout of infection, I would know instantly I would run like a 102 fever, the leg would be excruciatingly painful. And I would have to get emergency surgery every time they would have to drain it. And then I had to go through physical therapy. Oh They'd have to put a pickline line IV in my arm for eight yeah. weeks. So I mean, it was pretty major. And That's so great. in that season of my life, I did not have a relationship with God. Um, I wouldn't say that I was straight up atheist. Again, that was kind of the yeah. spiritual, not religious. I was smoking a lot of weed, drinking a lot. And I was very angry with whatever perception of God I had at the time because I'm like, well, you know, I'm a good guy in my, in my estimation, estimation. you know, though I was having a lot of casual sex, I was always a gentleman. Like we, we find negotiations about it. Like I'm not a savage. I'm not (laughs) going to just ghost them, you know, because if I'm very transparent, you know, out the gate, I'm not looking for something serious and I'm just want something casual. I would justify my mind, well, it's okay to have a lot of sexual partners. Um, So then when I had the issues with my health, I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? Mm -hmm. And then I think after about the 13th or 14th surgery, I just kind of shut off completely. And um, there was a point where uh, I remember one night, I just, you know, though I had amazing friends and family that were there through all of the surgeries, I was never like alone in that regard. Uh, I just felt alone because there was just something missing in my soul. And um, I remember one night a nurse came in uh, into my recovery room and she's like, can I pray with you? And uh, that was a prayer that at the time I wasn't ready for. Hmm. I should have been, but I wasn't. But that was kind of the that mustard seed that was planted because I didn't really come to have a relationship with Christ until a couple years after that. But, um, for me, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be this strong willed person that my mom raised me to be, never quit, fight through every one of these bouts of infection and eventually to be okay. So how did that land me on the bachelorette? Yeah. So, uh, as I was living in Austin, I had a pretty serious relationship with, um, this uh, Canadian woman. And, uh, as her visa was expiring, I kept saying, Hey, we need to go see an immigration attorney. Cause, uh. Trump had just been elected. And so um, I said, when he says America first, like, he's like being literal with that. I don't care if you are friendly neighbors to the north, like, Canadians get deported too. Yeah. And so sure enough, um, negligence on her end of just not truly understanding the severity of the situation uh, when she went to go try to get her visa renewed, it got denied. and. Uh, basically we had been dating for maybe nine months and we were living together yeah. and I said, Hey, you know, I love you. I know you love me. There's a very easy solution for this. Yeah. We can go down to the courthouse in Austin right now, get married. You can yeah. legally stay here, but I'm going to have to be the sole provider. Cause you don't just get a green card because you marry me. That could take at least a year or so before you can work at your chiropractic practice. Mm-hmm. So uh, she basically said, "You know, I love you, but the thought of living in a one-bedroom apartment with you gives me anxiety." And so we basically Wait, broke up. What, what,
1: wasn't life. she already doing that?
2: We had a two-bedroom. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, 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 so, yeah, yeah, we city, were in a two-two, uh, um, and basically uh, we were gonna have to. She sounds like a gem. Well, I mean, you know, Sorry, I, 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 I wish her well, I really do. Um, and she was in my life in that season for a reason. I truly do believe that yeah. like God always puts people in your life for the, for the right reason. Uh, cause I know that now. So basically we decided we didn't want to do long distance. Um, and we broke up and
0: she went back to Canada.
2: Uh, she did. She literally got deported. And then, you know, I go back to being single cam with all my buddies in Austin In Austin, I think it's a three-to-one girl-to-guy ratio, and it's known as a very casual hookup party city, right, okay. typically. There was actually, coincidentally, a bachelorette party that uh, was at this one bar that me and my buddies were at, and we uh, met this group of girls, and one of them kind of took a liking to me, and we just started talking. And long story short, she ended up being a producer. Oh. Um, she wasn't a producer for The Bachelorette, but you she got, had like, – discovered. Well she had worked for the 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 franchise in the past but she was still connected with a lot of the people who were still there she's like look like I like you but it's You're not going to it's not going to work out between you and I like like she but. wanted but you know if I can't have you America I can have you oh my <laughs> gosh. I know, right? But, but so, um, she basically sent a text message and the next day I'm, I'm at work in my little software sales job. I look at my phone and I get a call from a Los Angeles area code. I pick it up and it was one of the casting producers and, one call led to another call. The next thing you know, I'm driving up to Dallas the following weekend for the Texas casting call, and then a month later, they're flying me out to L. A. for the national call. Mm-hmm. And then the day before Valentine's Day of 2019, I get the call from the director, and they said, "You've been you've been casted for the Bachelorette."
0: Okay, so wait, pause. Like, how did you feel about all this? Were you like excited? Were you like, "Oh, I'm a hunk meat now. My mom will be. I'll be so embarrassed." Like, <sighs> where on the spectrum? S-
2: I mean, like, a little bit, my wife. so a little bit of all that. So here's one little side story to like chronologically when that was happening. My parents were actually, uh, uh filed for divorce. They had oh. been married for at that point, like 30 so years. Yeah. And, um, my girlfriend had just gotten deported. Oh, yeah. My parents' <laughs> marriage was falling apart. Oh. Uh, I had, was still recovering from a, knee yeah. su- a recent knee surgery and, um, I uh, I actually had a puppy that I had to rehome. uh, At the time, well, it really is, and um, I I was kind of at rock bottom. And then, so basically, when I got the call um, that you know you've been asked to come to these other casting calls, honestly, it was just kind of an escape. Yeah, and I thought, well, I have kind of an interesting story. Like my ex girlfriend got deported. That doesn't happen every day um my parents are going through a divorce that's not really unique but like i don't want to repeat their history i've done dating apps i've had no problem like picking up girls in the bar i was tired of that lifestyle i wanted to do something different and i've always been like a hopeless and helpless romantic that i felt that going in that environment like hey if if it's radical enough for uh I even brought God into him. I'm like, God if if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. But I didn't have a relationship. Again, it was the spiritual side. I'm like, if this yeah, is yeah. in the universe and the stars align. Row, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um I, I did that. And uh unfortunately, like before I was officially casted uh for the season, my parents did get back together, still married today. Oh, good. So yeah. I was like, There is that's still hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um but that's kind of how the whole process started. Honestly, like I make a I almost said the a word I make a, a fool out of myself um at times so I wasn't like worried about that yeah um I just didn't realize how fanatical the fan base was of the show until my season aired and that's where the depression the death threats and all that really kicked in especially when I was like edited as villain
0: okay so let's get to that part of the story because you're I mean so I guess there's some people that listen that don't know what The Bachelorette is but it's One girl and a bunch of guys, and she's going to sort of get to know all of you, and she's going to maybe pick one of you to be her, you know, know, huge big love and get married and all that jazz. And they do this thing at the end of every episode where they present roses to everyone that stays in, and one person gets cut every time.
2: Yeah? Yep. Okay. In a nutshell, huh?
0: So, did you meet her before? Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Sarah here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I know it was awesome, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology on Tap is growing. We are now a standalone ministry, an independent nonprofit, and to grow, we need your help. We're offering more live events, more follow-up opportunities to reach the unchurched, and increased partnerships with local churches. You can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, partnering with us financially. To donate, Go to HoustonTOT.com forward slash give. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. The thing,
2: was no. The so, well, well basically, oh, for yeah. for me, uh, I had kind of a competitive advantage because uh, kind of how the structure works is when The Bachelor ends, they have like the finale of The Bachelor, they call it After the Final Rose. And at that, it's in front of a live studio audience. They then announce who the next Bachelorette's gonna be. Okay. And so um, at that point, I was casted the season and i was already out there in la and basically when i was there quarantined in the hotel because the first thing they do is take your phone so you have no contact with the outside world Ooh, i'm out yeah yeah you, other so, than that i could
0: probably be on the bachelor but mm-hmm. yeah
2: i know um, i know some people right i know some people if you want to yeah. get on it yeah
0: I'm 46 friend keep going. keep
2: going so basically uh the producers came in my hotel room they said hey you've been selected to meet the bachelorette three days before like the bachelor mansion like Driveway, you know the yeah, Bachelor oh, driveway, yeah, you know, right? If it. you've I've seen it. it. So I was there with uh four of my other castmates, four of the twenty guys. Basically, got to meet her three days before in front of a live studio audience. So that was actually more anxiety built for me because when I'm backstage in the green room, the producers, uh, you know, they came up to me. So what are you going to say to her? Like this is your this is your time to shine. Like you're getting a head start. I'm like, I don't know. I guess I could like write her a poem or something. They oh, said, no. We want you to rap for her. No, stop. So, in front of 8 million no. in front of- Yeah, there is. It's on it's on the interwebs. Uh, I had to freestyle rap for her in front of 8 million people.
0: Can you tell give us a little taste like what did you say in the rap? You don't actually do the rap,
2: but I'll just I'm say that I'm so embarrassed for you. It, I mean. Oh, it's cringe. Like uh, <laughs> it's even cringe I still kind of remember some of the lines but like the last so I had in my pocket I had a bunch of rose petals okay and so That's clever. the bachelorette was Hannah Brown who's known as Alabama Hannah she went to University of Alabama and she was former Miss Alabama I went to Texas A&M so we're now in the SCC like we're like rivalries okay. it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet almost but not really I miss you UF. I'm a Florida girl so, sure okay. yeah, yeah. so the the last like rap line I said is uh Take my hand. Let's go for a ride. This is the only time an Aggie's going to say roll tide. And then I blew like, I blew the roses like at her. And so that was actually the first time in Bachelor Nation history that a contestant was given a rose before. The competition really ever started because one thing that's like really popular is the first impression rose that they give the first night in the mansion yeah. and historically in the bachelorette whoever gets the first impression rose like wins every time oh wow that's like one of the like so there's
0: something true about sort of love at first sight ish
2: right well for for women yeah. not all cases but the data proves in bachelor mm. franchise like yeah. most of the time the guy who got the first impression uh-huh. rose wins so i got it in, uh, before it even started. So that really inflated my ego, but it also put a huge target on my back okay. for the guy. Yeah, so guys. first night in the mansion, I realized I'm not getting sent home. And so I got to just be kind of relaxed and chill, remove the anxiety of not yeah. being sent home night one, because that's what they always want you. Don't cry and don't get sent home night one. Yeah, yeah. So I I did one of the two. Um, but, uh, But anyway, so about halfway through the experience, I really needed to open up to Hannah about my lymphedema my disease, because yeah. part of the experience is you can go on these pretty crazy one-on-one dates or group dates where they're mm-hmm. doing like either mountain climbing or like yeah. pretty physically strenuous activities. And because I managed my lymphedema very well, most people couldn't tell that I had it, okay. but I was still very much recovering from the surgery. Okay. So I pulled her aside and before can I did. yeah.
0: Did you like this girl? Did you really think, <sighs> man, I could like really marry her?
2: You know, you kind of get, what they call like Stockholm syndrome there because the producers are really good about yeah. just like really putting this person on a pedestal. And again, you don't have your friends or family to confine and to talk common sense into you. We don't get to watch TV. We don't get to mm-hmm. listen to music. You're just there like all day, drinking alcohol, eating food, talking about your feelings, and then maybe going on a date if you're invited to one for that day. Okay. So, and so it was just the thing to do to like her. It's primal too. It was, it was almost wow. very like tribe primal, right? You have this beautiful woman. And you have these producers telling you all these amazing things about it. And you have these really attractive other guys around you and they're competing for love. And so like yeah. that kind of adds fuel to the fire. So okay. to answer your question, I don't know if I like truly, I definitely wasn't love. Yeah. I can't say that. There wasn't enough one-on-one time to get that level of yeah. feeling, but I did have the physical attraction and the conversations we did have. I felt we did have some good chemistry there. Okay. Yeah.
0: Keep going. Okay. So you decided to open up about
2: lymphedema. about my lymphedema. and. Looking back, I think the mistake I made is I actually told the guys. I didn't tell them about my disease. I said, hey, guys, I have something serious and need to tell Hannah about. Let me just have five minutes with her. I won't take up much time. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, cool, whatever. And so, basically, I told her. She received it very well. I'm like, okay, the elephant has been addressed. I feel good about this. But you had given the guy's ammo, um, I- Well, the producers had given the guy's ammo. Oh. So about 45 minutes later, she has a conversation with another guy in the mansion and he basically tells her that I made up this medical sob story for her to feel sorry for me and give me a pity rose to keep me around. So she comes back and they'll, can we need to talk? Like right. when a woman looks at you that way and says that it wasn't good. I mean,
0: when men say it's not great either. Exactly.
2: When people say that. Yeah. Uh, so she pulls me back and says, you know, though I appreciate you saying that, uh, I just have to question the timing of it. it just feels really slimy and manipulative. Yada, yada, yada. Long story short, I got sent home that night. She did not believe me. Mm. She thought that I was uh basically making up the story or at least
0: they could have fact checked. But, like, but the producers the... could've been like there's medical records.
1: Yeah. But the producers are Angling for stories, right? I mean, absolutely. They, do they do they have writers
2: there? You know, because uh, they, there are, but it's not scripted at all. Yeah, that's what a lot of people. Oh, is it scripted? They don't tell you what to say. Yeah. You just do it, and they can kind of no, give fine, you give you guidance. And actually, that's what I was like most hurt about. Is because the night before, I was like bawling to the producer saying, "I I don't want to talk about my disease. I never talk about it. If you look at my social media prior to the Bachelorette, I didn't have anything about lymphedema on there. I hid it. I was ashamed mm-hmm. of it." It was something that I felt was like a curse and no woman's going to find me attractive if I have this malformation of a leg. And so for me, like having my coming out story about my disease, it was a real, a real missed opportunity for the network to shed awareness on a disease that affects over 10 million Americans. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Have they ever come back since and be like, we...
2: Well, it's funny because, you know, in the edit, they edited out every mentioning of the word lymphedema. So like, you can't even hear me say it. And they made my explanation to Hannah so discombobulated that it really did feed to the narrative of me making up a story. And even when I said I almost had to have my leg amputated in 2016, they had like slapstick comedy music playing underneath it. Like it was some sort of joke. So I get home and... I'm like, I'm super depressed because, not because I lost the love of my life by any means, but because I was, but I didn't even know that to the extent because we don't get to watch the show before the general public. So two months later happens and it airs.
1: And you can't tell anybody, right? Like you're on a non-disclosure or whatever. I mean, yeah, we are NDAs. (laughs) So, you know,
2: my closest friends and family, I mean, they obviously knew I was sent home and I told them like kind of what went down and how messed up and how, you know, the situation Mm. was just very messy. And they, uh, you know, we had a little viewing party with my family and watching the episode when I got sent home and just how they are portraying me like my parents, they were crushed, too. And then you look at your phone and just hundreds and DMs from people like. Some of my childhood heroes like David Spade and Jimmy Kimmel they're roasting me on national television oh, and I'm getting gosh. I'm getting death threats from my complete st- threat. oh, because people people, people are so invested in that franchise that they just they say the most bizarre messed up things and I started to believe the things that people were saying about my character and that was the road of depression oh, my mm. So that was my experience on the Bachelorette. And if you want to double down, Bachelor in Paradise, it was basically the same.
0: Okay. Yeah. You went, you went back into the belly of the beast.
2: Yeah. Because I was promised redemption. Right. Oh, and I okay. think a lot of people, when you go through something traumatizing and you have people who you can quote unquote trust and they promise you redemption, that happens in a lot of churches too, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Right. You're promised redemption or cults. Yeah. cults, and then you go into it and then you end up worse off. And for me, I was thinking, okay, well, it couldn't get much worse than it was. And sure enough, it, it really did. They kind of doubled down on that edit versus like propping me up. But like, okay, he's not so bad after all. Wow. So, you know, uh, and then this was obviously pre-pandemic. And so, but I go back, I'm living in Austin. And if I would go out to like 6th Street or Rainy Street with my friends, I would get noticed all yeah. all the time. But then it would inflate my ego because they didn't care that I was a villain. They just wanted to talk to someone on the show and they wanted to take pictures, thing, right? Yeah. And and honestly, like a lot of my castmates and just people in that franchise, once they get into reality TV, they end up getting out of it and becoming like bigger womanizers or mm-hmm. casual sexers, if you will, after the fact. I was actually more sexually active before the show yeah. than I was after because I was like, I don't want this life anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. not fulfilling. It's not to say that I didn't have seasons after the show where I screwed up, but I very quickly realized, okay, if you said that you were ready for marriage, like you're not living that life. And it was actually a podcast from Pastor Eric. That was the first I ever heard of the Story Church or Maybe God podcast. The episode was, Are You Your Dream Date's Dream Date? And that that wrecked me because I feel like... Just for our
0: listeners, that's a local church here. The Story, Eric Huffman's the pastor. Um, And you go to that church.
2: I do. and okay. uh, Okay. The, the whole synopsis of it is like, you know, we have oftentimes such high standards for what we expect in a partner or a spouse. And if we have those expectations, are we living that ourselves? And right. I was not. So that wrecked me. Huh. And that led to me asking Eric for coffee. And then he's like, man, you got to pop open this hood. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in your, in your uh, spiritual life. Wow! And so, so that's where it all kind of started.
0: So post bachelorette and bachelor in paradise, and then pre-listening to Eric, you were just still in this sort of like you're depressed, you're doing some soul searching but you're still in the kind of spiritual not religious. So what even made you listen to that podcast?
2: I was pursuing a girl hey, who, went, who went to the story. Who went to the story? Yeah. And uh and, and she was um actually my older sister. Uh it was her uh my sister's a teacher. It was one of her uh colleagues' little or older sister. So like, oh, hey, we should set them up. Okay. And so um and so we we hit it off very well, and, and she's like, hey, you know, I don't know like where you are with like your faith or like with God or whatever, but uh, there's this really cool uh, podcast of a local pastor. You should just yes. check it out. Okay. So in my mind, I was thinking, okay, she's giving me the playbook. I'm
0: gonna get some intel.
2: Yeah, okay, just yeah. like I love watching rom coms because it's like it tells you how to be the prototypical <laughs> man, right? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. it it what started out as impure intentions of being curious about God just to win this girl over ended up with me getting a relationship with Christ. I didn't end up dating the girl, but I got a relationship with Christ, which is far more fulfilling for me and what I needed all along. Of
0: course. Yeah. That's so cool. I I didn't know that part of the story. So now you're – oh, did you want to say something?
1: Well, I I wanted to ask – and this actually goes all the way back to pre-bachelor even, where you're talking about kind of being – like in Austin and, you know, so one of the things the church is always trying to do is like how to reach those people. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, could you, were you reachable? Like, was there something that somebody could have done? Um, or um, do we just kind of have to sit around and wait? Um, If you will, that sounds kind of depressing, but you know, like do we have to wait for people to, have either a relationship or an experience or or kind of a come to Jesus meeting is what we might call it or rock bottom or or something where then they come kind of find us you know some I I wonder about that as a pastor I'm like yeah can we even do anything like Mm -hmm. or do we just have to wait for people to finally come to their senses and come to us you know
2: that is a fantastic question I haven't been asked that before but like just kind of reflecting um I think God uses broken people to fix other people And by that, I mean, uh, one of my good friends in Austin who I had grown up with, um, he got really into the music scene and like managing some pretty cool bands in the area. Mm -hmm. And we kind of fell out of touch, but I knew he got really big into drugs and, um, and almost kind of a cult like situation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he grew up Southern Baptist, like his mom was like, Miss Southern Baptist, like always yeah. going to church, always volunteering. And I remember in sixth grade, we got in trouble for listening to Outcast. And she like brought the CD and broke it in half. And like, it was like a whole thing. And so when when my friend who I saw like just so broken, when he came back to Christ, that was like another seed that was planted in mm. me. So to answer your question, is there anything you can do? I mean, I don't know that there's a silver bullet. Yeah. Um you just kind of have to meet the people where they're at. yeah. And I feel like a lot of uh, secular people or maybe people who even grew up religious and then grew out of faith because of college or whatever circumstances they can see a traditional church and be intimidated or even have some PTSD about it. Um, yeah. That's why I think things like theology on tap is so awesome because you can take something social, like having a couple beers and then yeah. having just open conversations without being preachy about it. And one of the things, I guess, that drew me to the story was their whole mission statement is it's a church for skeptics, right? Mm -hmm. How do we reach non-religious believers to form a relationship with Jesus? To me, that felt a little bit of a more welcoming for where I was at in my life because I was so stubborn. I felt that I had the answers. I felt that, man, uh, organized religions is just a bunch of people fighting over who has the coolest imaginary friend. That's what I felt it was because I knew Christians who were hypocrites. I had Jewish friends who were amazing people. I had Muslim friends who were not so great of people and like all over the spectrum. So like, how can I discern that Christ is the one true way? Mm -hmm. it, it It was difficult for me. So I just said, you know what? this is overwhelming. I'm just going to be spiritual. I'm going to lead with love. Yeah. I'm going to be kind to people. And that like, you know, the old Bob Marley song, love was my religion. That's how I was trying to navigate that. So it's, it's difficult, but I think having any type of community outreach, um, music's a great way to do that. Yeah, It doesn't have to be like gospel songs, but there's a lot of really good singer songwriters who have put out gospel albums or just yeah. songs that, Speak to the gospel, maybe not in like a preachy way, but I guess everybody responds differently to it on their journey. But for me, it was witnessing other broken people, uh, seeing them come to Christ and like, wow, like I've tried to do everything on my own accord. Tried the drugs, tried the alcohol. I've tried women and other ways of the world to satisfy my soul. And it just, it was not working. Would you
0: say, and and we are going to get to talking about your leg here Mm -hmm. next because man, time is flying. Would you say that there was like a conversation, or a moment, or maybe even a little season within while you're you're meeting with Eric, you're maybe going to church? I mm-hmm. guess at this point, where like something clicked, or the flip, the something was switched in you that you know was yep. like, oh, okay, I used to believe this, now I believe this.
2: Yeah, it was very clear to me. So we were at, um, it's called Leading Men. It's like a a men's discipleship group. And I had never done Bible studies. I thought it was just a bunch of cheesy Christians getting together to get like scholarly about it. And that just felt overwhelming to me because I felt so biblically illiterate. It was intimidating me. But when it was phrased, it's not just about reading the Bible. We pray together too. And one of the guys at my table, uh, he said, look, you know, your relationship with God it's not transactional, right? Like I feel like some people view it as, um, for me, it was all about like withdrawals. Like, God, what can you do for me? I'm, I'm going through this leg pain. Help me God, help me God, help me God. There wasn't any gratitude and there was no servitude on my end. Mm -hmm. So he said, it needs to be about deposits and withdrawals. It's got to be back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really thought of it in that light before, Mm -hmm. because, I felt, well, you can just be kind to people and that should be good enough. But I wasn't doing anything to bring glory to God's kingdom specifically, right? Um, I wasn't doing any type of mission work or outreach. My prayer life was, you know, it lacked specificity and it lacked intimacy with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It would just be kind of this God blob hey, God, um, thank you. Thank you, Father that, Jesus. You know, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it, it really took me um, having that mentorship from from other men who are more mature in their faith journeys to kind of like guide me along. I mean, that's kind of what discipleship is about yeah. is is training other men to then have them be able to go do that and make yeah. disciples in all the nations. Okay. Man,
0: that's so cool. And it's like, it's just, a, it's nice to hear that it works. You know what I mean? It's nice to hear that, there are churches, even here in our city where they're reaching people and then discipleship is really discipling people, which is really, really cool. Okay, so let's go to the other big story here. So all along through the bachelorette, through college, everything you've been dealing with your knee, all of these surgeries, mm-hmm. all of this pain. Yep. I mean, I remember listening I so I listened to the both of the podcasts you were in with them. You talking about there was like one night where the pain was so excruciating.
2: Yeah. You were
0: basically like almost asking
2: for death. Well, I, I did. I asked my father to get his shotgun. And I can imagine as a father what that would have been like for him to hear your son, like, laying in your master bedroom screaming like a grown man, 31 years old. Like, it felt like someone was taking a hacksaw to my leg. And I felt I had a pretty high pain tolerance because 15 prior surgeries. I felt, ah, I'm tough as nails, but there was something wrong. And it turns out I had a blood clot from my knee replacement. So it's when the EMS came to escort me to the emergency room that they had to inject me with ketamine, which is basically a horse tranquilizer. And they use it in sedation and actually use it in therapeutic setting for like PTSD and hmm. uh, depression. And they've had a lot of studies in the VA hospital with veterans. And I'd never had any experience with it. I would tried like psychedelics in college and something like, okay, I can handle this. I'll never forget the EMS lady. She says right before she injects into my arm, she says, Mr. Ayala, I'm about to inject you with ketamine. Um, you're likely going to have an out-of-body experience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hoorah, right? So she, (laughs) I was like, anything to get out of this moment of the worst pain of my life. So she does it and probably within five seconds in real time. It's kind of like that scene in like Pulp Fiction when Uma Thurman gets the adrenaline shot and she's like, Mm -hmm. like comes to life. But like for me, my body literally felt like it was floating. Mm -hmm. And part of it was, there was four EMS guys literally hoisting me up to then get me on the stretcher. Um, I had this vision that was so clear Mm. of Christ reaching down and like grabbing my arm. And all I, all I can remember hearing was be calm, my child be Mm. calm. And that was the moment that it's like, okay, I had believed before, but now I'm all in. Mm. And, uh, Again, like having a rock bottom moment and the moment of like terrible pain. And I don't want to say it was like life or death, which you can die from a blood clot. So I guess technically it kind of was, but I wasn't like bleeding out. Sure, but still. But it was a very serious medical moment. And that is when I just was over, like overwhelmed with yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And to like visually see it, like changed everything for me because I've always been like a visual learner myself. Yeah. You got to see it to believe it. And that's not to say, I don't want like the the listeners or watchers to say like, oh, well, I guess I have to do ketamine to go <laughs> see Christ or to Would have you that moment. I feel like we should say that. Right? right. No, but it's, it's, God can, well, God's always there, but it's, yeah. it's in those moments where you need him the most. And if yeah. you wholeheartedly and you let your guard down, like that was the most vulnerable I ever was in exactly. my life. That he just embraced me it's and what gave me that peace. It's what when you were baptized at camp. It's what I want. Exactly. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I haven't thought about that until now, but that's, that's it. Huh. That's it.
0: Okay. So you're hauled off and... How? Where are we in the story? To when you finally made the decision?
2: Yeah. So that was uh, the blood clot was because I had a failed total knee replacement. That was like the last yeah. ditch effort to save my leg. Then, is that what mm. you were
0: talking about? We were sitting next to each other at the. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, yep. Yeah. yeah. So the knee replacement essentially failed. It was the wrong hardware. Won't go into that, but basically, I was uh, then going to another orthopedic doctor, and they said, "Well, we can do a revision, or we can do an amputation." And you said the revision's got to be three more surgeries over the course of a year and, and it then may may it may not work. Right. That point I said, you know what, what I've learned in my relationship with Christ is the most powerful thing you can do as a human being is surrender. Mm-hmm. I was surrendering to my flesh because it's not my flesh right. anymore. It's God's. Yeah. And looking back, the most beautiful breakthroughs I've had in my life came from the hardest moments. And I knew that the amputation was not going to kill me. I knew it was only the beginning of a new beautiful journey. And like, though I'm losing a leg, I'm gaining a deeper level of intimacy with God. I can use this platform that God has given me to be some beacon of hope or inspiration Mm -hmm. to say that, you know, God doesn't do things to you. He does it for you. Mm -hmm. And, for me, it's been the biggest blessing. We're coming up on almost a year now. I had it on June 22nd mm. was my amputation date. Mm. Um, since then, I've gotten to do like six months after my amputation, I went and did a humanitarian trip to Ukraine, That's crazy. <laughs> bringing prosthetic supplies to Ukrainian civilians. Mm. Um, and and then coming up uh, this September, I'm going to be doing a mountain climb, 19,000 foot mountain climb in Ecuador, oh, same. To, raise for, yeah, to raise funds for. That's crazy. Yeah, to raise funds for kids. No, because one thing that the amputation and really my faith journey has taught me uh, is like my new favorite saying, which is faith over fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you go through what I have physically, I'm not afraid of the flesh. I'm not afraid to die. In fact, one of my Mm -hmm. favorite books is Radical by David Platt. And he said, you should be living as if death is the reward. And I think people are afraid of death itself, but you don't realize like paradise is waiting for you on the other side. Now that's not to say we live recklessly, right? Right. But try to die or something. Right, right. But the things of this world and of the flesh that used to scare me don't scare me anymore. I can go to prison ministry and not be afraid that something's gonna happen to me there. Because if you truly believe that God has gone before you, Mm -hmm. like there's so much peace in that. And that's really been My whole thing like now as a single person, you know, I used to be like so gung-ho like, oh, I got to get on the dating apps. I got to find somebody. I got to find somebody. But like now I've just surrendered to that and say, you know what? Like God may not even want me to be married and that's okay too. Like I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with where I'm at and use each day as a gift to live in God's presence and to do what he says, which is to be obedient to him and to serve other people.
0: Yeah, I love that. But also, if you're watching and you think he's dreaming, <laughs> you should come to Theology on Tap. Sorry, I have yeah. to be opportunistic, you know? Yeah. We have several single... We've had various people that have met at Theology on Tap using our Blue Cup system and
1: got married. <laughs> was there any bachelor follow-up, given that yeah. that was the device you they used? Now. I mean, I, I hate to be so crass about it, yeah, but I mean...
2: Yeah, yeah you, know. you know, so... Um, When I, two days before the amputation, I had one of the executive producers cell phone and I texted him. I said, Louie, hey, this is probably going to get some media coverage. Do you guys want to get in front of it or do you want to hear it from other sources? No response from him. And um, I reached out to one of my other friends who uh, was one of the actual good producers because not all producers were great. Um, She actually had a kind heart and she's from Houston. So we kind of had that kindred connection there. Um, she did have me go on one of, um, the podcasts, uh, that Ben Higgins, uh, the almost famous podcast, Ben Higgins was a former bachelor that he does. So it was like somewhat associated, but nothing directly from the franchise. Cause every now and then on some seasons they'll do like, what are they up to now? Right. They haven't reached out to me for that. Um, but you know, there's been other cool, uh, media platforms like people magazine, entertainment tonight, us weekly that have have covered the story and the most amazing thing about that, it's not about me. It's not about the vanity or that or getting vindication. The thing that I find most incredible about that uh, experience is that they have quoted me talking about my faith, which mm. is really unheard of in most of these secular yeah. entertainment platforms. Yeah, They'll edit so, that right out. So that is Did been the biggest blessing. They're going to edit it right out. Yeah. 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 In most cases they do. Yeah. They,
1: they control what, what, what gets said. So and
2: several of them, they like even in the headline, faith over fear, Mm -hmm. and like because one of the main questions, is, well, how are you coping with all this? I would be losing my mind. I said, look, I have had the strongest relationship with Christ that I've had in my entire life, and that's who I give the credit and the peace to. Yeah, that's how I'm able to get up every morning and put my leg on (laughs) one (laughs) leg at a time. (laughs) We haven't had any jokes. I know you have all these like one liners. Yeah, um, but
0: yeah, wow, that's a story i mean i
2: have well i mean coming full this. circle oh,
0: oh if you're only <laughs> listening you just missed that's crazy he just basically swung his leg around 360.
2: oh uh, yeah
1: that was
0: yeah
1: are you okay yeah <laughs> you i'm a little squeamish in. even with even with the uh, <laughs> prosthetics apparently <laughs> yeah so
0: that's one reason for people to go to youtube and watch instead of just listening yeah wow do you have any follow-up questions?
1: I mean, I have a million, but, I mean, we're kind of at time. Yeah. No, no, man. I just – I really appreciate the story. So, um, I wonder if there's uh, any, like, athletic inroads for you, you know, like in terms Glad of – Glad you
2: asked. I'm <laughs> on the Houston Rolling nothing. Rockets. I'm on the okay. men's wheelchair basketball oh, okay. team. okay. Uh, and then I'm also on the sitting volleyball team. So at yeah. the end of this month, I'm trying out for the U.S. national team. Oh, very so cool. I'm I'm wow. staying as active as I can with that. And I just got my first running blade. So this is just an everyday prosthetic mm-hmm. for like walking. It's you know robotic there. But then you may have seen the Paralympics with the mm-hmm. little running blade. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a little <laughs> hook. So I'll get to run for the first time in eight years in about a week and a half. Oh, so I'm gosh. really excited for that. And I do a lot of volunteering with a thing called the Challenge Athletes Foundation. Cool. So you know, movement for me has been uh, a big part of my recovery and therapy yeah. because it's easy to just get caught up laying in bed. Oh, let everything heal. And like, yeah, it heals. But for me, phantom pain is really bad. That's where you feel, ask about- you yeah. feel mm-hmm. pain in the part where your leg used to be like every mm-hmm. now and then my right calf or right ankle will kind of feel like it's burning or it feels like there's ants crawling it's on it. Really- but I don't have a right calf or ankle it's anymore brain, but my it's brain it's yeah. like a neurological thing so um there's different ways to mitigate that and for me movement has helped that a lot so i started doing crossfit like two weeks after my amputation hmm.
0: is that
1: recommended
2: probably, is that not. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> probably not probably like, not yeah it's yeah. The over it's the
1: overachiever you know so that's... your
0: mom still from that baseball game yeah i didn't raise <laughs> a quitter oh yeah
1: good job mom yeah. yeah i will i will say i think you know for for you, the the kind of dividing line is you keep talking about this personal relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. you know, and some traditions like ours, you know, we don't talk about that a lot, you know. I mean, um, to our detriment, probably, but pr- in part, it's it's because we kind of have this different theory about conversion, mm-hmm. and and maybe even baptism plays a role in that, sure. kind of the idea of like. You know, you, you bring people into the faith and you don't have to have this one moment of conversion. And there's reasons for not wanting to overstress that. Sure, but yeah. but um, maybe, maybe I mean, is that something you think churches should talk about more? Yeah. Like, you know, challenge their people to, you know, look, you really do need to have a personal relationship with Jesus in case it needs to be said. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, because uh, I forget what, what verse it was uh, or is um, about, you know, when you die and then one of the biggest fears is like, he's saying, I never knew you. Yeah. Lord, yeah. Lord. yeah. 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 Right. And, and so oftentimes, and you see this on, so I see it on social media all the time. They say, it's not about religion. It's about relationship, right? Right? Like anybody can go to church and can quote scripture and can even do good acts of service. But if that's coming from an empty vessel where you don't have like an intimate relationship with Christ, like it's, it's kind of like you're missing the mark because there's so much joy in that. And I feel like when you really experience God's grace and mercy and salvation, it is heightened when you have that personal relationship, no different than a relationship with Mm -hmm. a friend, right? Like you can have an acquaintance and if so-and-so say, oh yeah, John forgives you. And if I barely know, I'm like, okay, cool. But like, if it's a close buddy of mine who I feel I really hurt and he comes up to me and Brandon says, Cameron, I forgive you, my brother. That's where it really has an impact, that relationship, that deep, intimate relationship. And it shouldn't be any different than, than our relationship with Christ. Now I get talking about it can be, a bit of a challenge because you don't want to say, well, you need to go have a near death experience or you need to go do ketamine or, or or rely on your feelings. Exactly. Because if I relied on my feelings, like even now to this day, the enemy is really good at distracting me or really good at placing doubt in my head. Mm -hmm. And I have to rebuke that. And I have to stay in that intimacy with God through prayer and through doing acts of service to other people in his name, not for my own doing.
0: Yeah, man. By the way, fun fact: After I met you at the prayer breakfast, and I followed you, on, or I went to Instagram, I realized I'd actually been following you even though I didn't <laughs> know you through. I think maybe at least Myers or some other like sort of like a quasi celebrity, like an Instagram. I don't know who it was. I don't know, but at some point, something about your story about lymphedema uh-huh, uh-huh. came up, and someone was like, "Go oh, check out this guy." It was before the amputation. Yeah. So yeah. I had already been following you. So that's really cool. I mean. I didn't even know you but you were getting that word out and giving God glory
2: and that's what it all comes down to because if you would have asked me three or four years ago that I would be here in a church doing a podcast
0: (sighs) Um,
2: or just you know where I'm at now with my relationship with Christ I would have been like okay yeah yeah. yeah, did you drink the Kool-Aid too like no that's that's not at all what it is and Again, God puts us all on these journeys for for a reason, right It's not going to be a super linear path, and I'm glad it's not linear because I don't think I would appreciate God's grace and mercy as much as I do now I have not been so broken before,
0: yeah, man. Well, we could ask a million more things, but since we are kind of out of time, uh, if people want to learn more about you, follow your journey, how can people find you and, and learn more? Uh,
2: my AOL instant messenger. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that earlier or on MySpace. Uh, no, uh, Instagram. Angel <laughs> sparkle. Yeah, Instagram is probably the best way to reach out to me. Um, and I actually do, for the most part, try to, to respond to DMs best I can. Um, but yeah, Cameron Ayala. That's the best way to find me on the Instas. He
0: because it's not spelled like you would
2: think Cameron. Is, right, yeah, because Cameron Ayala was already taken and Cam Ayala was already taken too, so I had to do Cameron.
0: Oh, so, <laughs> so your actual name is
2: spelled how? C oh, so A M E R O N. The real way, yeah. It's just an insta thing. Okay. A insta okay. thing. Yep. I thought your parents were being like, cool. No, they're not that cool. Love you, Mom <laughs> and Dad, but sorry. Uh, okay, awesome. And like I said, maybe we can convince them to keep coming to
0: Theology on Tap and you can meet him here in person. So, but uh, thank you for listening. And again, if you need any information about our upcoming events, we have some really cool ones. I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but if it comes out before August 15th, Dr. James Tour is going to be coming and speaking, um, which will be really neat. So uh, check out everything we have going on at HoustonTOT.com. And until we see you again, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.